hope you're having a great morning. If you have your Bibles, would you go to the book of Daniel? Grab my iPad stand. Go to the book of Daniel. If you have the Version Bible app, you can bring up the notes from um, our prepared notes that will give you all the points, the scriptures, uh, give you access to sending the notes to yourself, so on and so forth. I'm um, excited about today. I've been loving studying Daniel. I don't think I've ever spent so much time studying this uh, particular uh, character in scripture, but uh, it's been an absolute blast. And before... I jump right into the message itself. Uh, I just I want to give honor to a Daniel, um, Ethan Daniel Berenger. My son is, has turned 18 years old today, and I got to give just a shout out and awkward attention toward him. Him and I are very similar. We don't want attention, and so this is what dads do. Uh, I've got two adults in my house. I told them yesterday, if you're going to commit a crime, today's the day to do it, because tomorrow you're getting tried as an adult. So, sometimes you guys just got to have those talks with your kids. So, for those watching online, I'm kind of kidding. So, um, Daniel 3 is where we're going to kind of sit for, uh, for a while today. In fact, I'm going to read you um, the entirety of the chapter, not because you can't, but for us to really understand the story itself and the message, uh, you really have to get kind of the nitty-gritty of what's going on. Um, years and years and years ago, four score and seven years ago, I remember my dad was trying to teach me how to just do things around the house, um, you know, things that dads do, and I remember he taught me how to light the grill. Now, I'm not talking about um, charcoal, I'm talking about propane, because we got ourselves a propane grill, and so he taught me how to light the grill, and I remember one day he said, David, can you go out and light the grill? Remember, remember what I showed you? I said, sure, I remember. Now... My father has an engineer's mind, which means that he can take anything apart and just remember how it goes back together. I do not have an engineer's mind, so I can take something apart and somebody else puts it back together. That's just the way things are. And even, I mean, my dad still thinks that I think like him to this day. Like, I went, to, uh, went up to their home up in Lake City, and he walks me around. He's like, okay, here's this gun safe. Anything happens to me, here's, here's the combination. You go over to this thing. Here's the combination. And then now here's the pin number for the. And he's walking me through, and my mom's like, Harold, who remembers things? He goes, oh, I can remember those things. So that's, that's our history. And so the engineer of mine skipped a generation and went to Ethan and just left me with something. And so dad sends me out and wants me to light the grill. So I go out, out there, I turn the propane on, and we didn't have a fancy uh, grill. We didn't have the little button to ignite. Uh, I took a book of matches out with me. So I just turn on the propane, I turn on the burners, and then I am just, I am underneath there, I'm just crouched down, just doing this. And I'm, I'm trying to light, and that one burnt out. The wind took that one out. And I'm just going through a bunch of matches and all of a sudden, one got lit, and I stuck that into the hole of the grill. See, something I forgot about. When you turn the gas on, you're supposed to lift the lid of the grill. All I remember, it's like a Ron Swanson having my face blown off. All I remember was lighting and then the top of the lid, I just remember distinctly the top of the lid flying up, 
and my body flying back with this ball of flame around me, and I'm just laying there touching my face. Am I alive? Am I alive? Am I alive? And I'm panicking. And my dad walks out with the media. He goes, hey, great job lighting the grill. Didn't know anything that happened. <laughs> so what I learned that day is when something gets turned on, the amount of pressure that could actually get built up can all be solved and ignited by just a simple spark. It's amazing the power of pressure. Now, I could do a whole series on the issue of pressure, uh, but when I look back, I look at this, this moment of pressure knocking me off my feet and leaving me in a place where I, I literally am not understanding how, how did this even happen. Because sometimes pressure can push us to do things that we didn't anticipate. Sometimes we can go into pressure moments and, and we can find ourselves compromised or find ourselves injured. We, we find ourselves in a place where we have maybe gone into a mode of life that may not have happened if it wasn't for pressure. If, if, I'm, if you're taking notes, I made a simple sermon title for today and I called it The Pressure of They. I don't know who they are, but they put a lot of pressure on me. We get a lot of pressure from the they. I think of the guy that knocked on my door yesterday asking me who I'm voting for and wanting to pressure me toward voting for who he wanted me to vote for. If there's ever a, a, a picture of disappointment was a look on his face when I told him that basically this is how I'm voting and he just dropped his jaw and his smile went away. And the, the, the pressure of they. And in this day and age, we've got a lot of pressure that is put upon us. And now, I think more than any other day, it seems like one little spark, one little ignition, and everything around us just kind of gets blown apart because the amount of pressure that just is building up. And we are facing so much pressure nowadays to not just recognize pressure, but pressure to bow our life and to bow our knee, our knee toward a particular topic or item. So if we're talking about Daniel chapter 3, you've got to talk about the pressure. The pressure of a nation operating a certain way. The pressure of an empire thinking in a certain way. And the pressure upon these Hebrew boys that were taken captive from their nation. And they're not being indoctrinated. They're being shown. They're being culturized in this, in this country. And on top of that, they are having to bend underneath the pressure, being pushed underneath the pressure of having to abandon not just who they are as individuals, but who they are deep down as followers of God themselves. There is the pressure to bow their knee. And it's something that we all face. I mean, look at what we have gone over over the past couple weeks. We see these boys, these Hebrew boys, that they knew who they were despite the attempt of the Babylonians to mock their identities. They knew who they were. They settled what they believed before they were taken captive. Last week we talked about predetermining our decisions. And then this week we see that they embraced the opportunity to strengthen their faith by enduring the trials and the pressures before him. Think about that. Belief, convictions, and endurance. If you really want to see your faith built up, those are the three that you can really focus on in your prayer time, in your devotional time, in a time in the scriptures, in the way that you're kind of pursuing your life and pursuing God, is knowing that, man, we, know, we need to know what we believe, we need to know how we believe it, and we have to understand that when we are choosing to follow God, there's going to come pressure to follow after something or somebody else. 
And so we get to Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to start at verse 1. Story time with Dave. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up by the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And he sent messengers, the high officials, the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials came to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all the officials came and stood before the, the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races, nations, and, and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, what is a zither? No idea. Lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Some people think our government's bad. Goodness gracious. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. In your, if you have your Bibles, write the word narc. In my, when I grew up, snitches get stitches. They went to the king and told on the Jews. And he said, King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all people bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, that zither thing, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews... I I love that. These guys are like so kind of passive aggressive here. There are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the providence of Babylon. Now notice it says, there are some Jews, some of those captives that you put in charge. They've gone from passive to ultra aggressive. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods. And they do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And they were brought in, and Nebuchadnezzar said, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is true, guys. I've got to stop saying these names over and over. That you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace and then, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your, from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that, have, that you have set up. So Nebuchadnezzar was furious, so much that his face became distorted with rage. Ever had your mom so mad at you that she no longer looked like mom? The laser eyes, you know what I'm talking about. He commanded that the furnace gets, get heated seven times hotter than usual. And then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So he tied them up, threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers that threw them, the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly... 
Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw the fire had not touched them. Not one hair on their head was singed. Their clothing was not scorched, and they didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He has sent an angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree that if anyone, any people whatsoever from any nation or race or language speak a word against them, they will be torn from limb to limb. Their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no god who can rescue like this. And the king promoted them to even higher positions in the providence of Babylon. Lots of reading, lots of reading. Jesus, today, give us, uh, give us an amazing day of transformation and grace and mercy. Lord, in a, in a world that, whoever the they is in this world that wants to pressure us into bowing our knees to anything other than you, that you, I pray you would help us and guide us through this because we need help. Because, Lord, there's only one that's deserving of a bowed knee, and it's you. There's only one deserving of our praise and adoration and it is you and lord i pray that today that we would see idols crumble and fall that we see god rise and his enemies be scattered god us and lead us today we pray this in jesus name amen this scripture really gives us a great distinction of the mentalities of empire versus kingdom because the empire would say this make an example the kingdom says be an example the kingdom of darkness would love to make an example but the, the kingdom of God says it's time to be an example. And here we've got Nebuchadnezzar who is extra, obviously very upset. He's a little perturbed that what he has set up as a monument to himself and something that should be worshipped, namely himself, was absolutely denied. And the people that he put in leadership were, were actually not listening. And so therefore they were to be thrown and cast into the flames. And there we have what commentators will call a theophany. What a theophany is, it is a, it's a pre-version of Jesus or an appearance of Jesus before the New Testament. That's what that word means, is Jesus appearing before the New Testament. And there's a number of times in the Old Testament where that theophanies were seen. So many people believe this wasn't an angel. This was an appearance of Jesus before he appeared in what we would know as the New Testament times. And yet... This is the place where God meets them in the midst of the flames and pulls them out. But there's a lot of pressure to bow a knee. And there's a lot of pressure to not just get people to bow their knee to our ideals or our uh, mindsets, but we love to make examples of people. We love shaming people or guilting people in order to make examples of them. Or instead of doing literally what Pastor Matt told us to do is, listen, singing is great, but what's better than singing is actually going and living that which we proclaim to be. And so we get this amazing moment. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I thought this series was on Daniel, not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But this is actually all about Daniel. Why? Because this is number one in the book of Daniel, but it's part of his story. But I began to ask questions this week. I'm like, why isn't Daniel mentioned here? 
Daniel's mentioned, obviously, Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2. Then we get to Daniel chapter 3, and all of a sudden we have no mention of Daniel. And so I, th- I thought, wrote two theories about this. Number one, Daniel was sent away on business, the business of Babylon. And I guess that's possible because he was a, a Jewish slave put into leadership. I wouldn't think that he would have that much um, that they would just send him away, plus being in his leadership position, he would have sent other people away. But that led me to a second theory on why Daniel isn't mentioned here. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, had this amazing, intense moment because Nebuchadnezzar had a bad dream. He ate some bad pizza, went to bed, had a dream that absolutely shook him. And so what happened was he went to all of his magistrates, all of his wise men, and says, listen, I need to know the interpretation of this dream, and if you don't tell me, I'm just going to kill all of you. And so I think I would have panicked a little bit. And so they went and talked to Daniel, and Daniel basically says, you know, I'm going to call upon the Lord, and the Lord will give me the insight. And look here, Daniel chapter 2, it shows you the closeness of Daniel and these three boys. Daniel chapter 2, verses... uh, Verse 17, Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which were the Hebrew names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret of the dream so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. In other words, listen, I'm going to go before the king and talk to him about the interpretation, but if he doesn't receive me, he's going to kill me. So in case that happens, I want you to seek the face of God and ask God to tell you the meaning of the dream so that you don't die. So what happens is Daniel ends up interpreting the dream through the power of God. He gives them the word, and all of a sudden Daniel is elevated above almost every other person in the entire nation. Now we get to Daniel 3, and when Nebuchadnezzar calls for everyone to bow, the question is, did Daniel bow? I do not think that Daniel bowed. What I do believe is Daniel was so untouchable in the eyes of the magistrates, in the eyes of the wise men, that they couldn't take him down directly. So what's the best way to take down Daniel in his position is to go after his community. Can I tell you that one of the greatest strategies of the devil against the church today is not necessarily to attack individuals in the church. He wants to attack the unity of the church and to get us fighting and to bowing our knee to other things besides Jesus. And we begin to sacrifice our testimony on the altars of our our political parties and on our preferences and and our tastes and all the things that we like in this life. And we get fighting and dividing ourselves amongst each other instead of being one. This is what's happening now in Daniel 3 is Daniel, uh, Daniel is is untouchable in their eyes. So let's go after his community and let's take them out. Let's turn the pressure up on those three because if we can begin to get them to bow, we can begin to get Daniel to bow. I mean, idols in our life are not always as clear as a 90-foot-tall statue. Can we just say that Nebuchadnezzar is overcompensating for his insecurities here, and he built a 90-foot... Imagine if I built a 90-foot statue out in front of the church. I would pray that all of you would just simply leave. Goodness gracious. Oh, my word, this was the worst thing. I, 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 I don't like a ton of attention, so when I got hired here... Marty's laughing because he, he knows what's coming. When I was hired here, um, I came in, I moved into my house. I wanted to move myself into my office, and I saw Pastor Marty and a few others. They were getting something set up, and I thought it was for Easter, like a big banner for Easter. 
And so I'm like, hey, do you guys need help? And Marty giggles, sure we need help. And so we go out to the, to the front of the property right next to the church sign. And I'm like, is this, a, is this a promotion for Easter? What is this? And Marty giggles, it's not a promotion for Easter. We unroll it. It is a big picture of my face saying, here's our new pastor. <laughs> I set up my own banner. The reality is, is we all bow down our worship to something. We all bow down our worship to something. How do I know that? How can I say that? It's because we were creatures that were created for worship. We were created to worship. It is in our DNA. It is in our makeup. We were created to worship something or someone and we were created to worship God, but, but when sin has crept in, we begin to look to other things to worship. And now you may not go home to a pagan shrine, but what you value most in your life will have the greatest place of prominence. That is what you will worship. So the question is, what is an idol? What is an idol? I simply wrote this. An idol is any person, position, or pursuit that captures a majority of your attention or affection. An idol is anything that takes the most prominent place in your life, person, position, pursuit, that gets all of your affection or your attention. Um, we can make an idol out of anything. You can make an idol out of your spouse. If you're newly married, you probably think your spouse is absolutely perfect and there's nothing wrong with your spouse. After the first month of marriage, you understand that's not the case. Parents, we can make our kids our idol. We can make the church the idol. Let me give a word this morning. I have had to talk with so many people the past six months during COVID that have been so disappointed or broken by people within the church through social media or whatever, and they, they, they were watch, they're watching their faith getting just completely rocked and tested during this time. And my word is this, is stop putting your faith in the church. Stop putting your faith in church people. Stop putting your faith in congregations. They were never equipped to be a supporter of your faith in terms of to be the object of your faith. They were there to help support your faith. So stop putting your faith in the church. Stop putting your faith in pastor Dave. Put your faith in Jesus. Your hobby can be an idol. Your job can be your idol. Let's say this way. Your nation can be your idol. We're not one God under a nation. We are one nation under God. Your political affiliation can be your idol. Pastors can make their ministries their idol. Money can be your idol. Let me give a word to somebody this morning. Don't ever let somebody's opinion of you be your idol. Some of us have the pressure of they, and the they are the people that have been speaking about you, are pressuring to you, and all of a sudden you begin to bow your knee before someone else's opinions. Stop worshiping someone else's opinion. You want to worship someone's opinion? Worship the opinion of the one whose hands were put upon a cross, arms wide open to you, and says, I love you this much. Know God's opinion of you, and you'll never break underneath someone else's opinion of you. But when we attach ourselves to anything other than Jesus for the ultimate meeting from our lives, it's idolatry. I know that's a pretty heavy statement, but it's a completely true statement that when we attach ourselves to anything other than God for the ultimate meeting, we attach ourselves to anything other than Jesus for the ultimate meeting, it's idolatry. I, it could be a good thing. Listen, I want you to have a job. That's a good thing. I would love to see you married. I'd love to see you have uh, great goals in life, to have a ministry in life. I love for all those good things, but they were never meant to give you meaning. And anytime we center our lives around those, we begin to worship and bow our knee, and it's just, 
It's just another 90-foot statue that we bow before. Idolatry is nothing new in the Old Testament. Obviously nothing new in the New Testament. It says, um, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. John writes, keep yourselves from idols. And again, sometimes we misunderstand this because we, we think of idols, we think of idols as gold statues. I remember when my parents showed me um, that, the movie The Ten Commandments. You might have seen The Ten Commandments. You know how Charleston Heston, and like, like, he's like brown hair and it just it kind of goes and sees the, the burning bush and God gives him highlights and it comes back. If you haven't seen it, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It comes back and they go through the whole scenes of, of the idols and the bowing before the idols. I remember that day. I went and grabbed this gold, um, what do you call it, owl. It was a bookend off my bookshelf. And I'm like, Mom, look. And I set it on the kitchen table and I bowed to it. I said, just like the Ten Commandments, something came over my mom in that moment. Mom, if you're watching, I love you. Thank you for shaping my life. <laughs> but there are false gods that we deal with on a daily basis. In fact, if you, if you are um, a student of Scripture, there are three false gods that I want to show you that will appear all throughout Scripture. And in fact, there's something that they were three false gods that we will see every single day. Look at these three. The simple three, three are Mammon, Baal, and Asherah. There's a the spirit of Mammon, which is the god of possessions and greed. The God of possessions and greed. You're driven by I need, I have to have. Then there's Baal. Baal is simply the God of power or the God of pride. We really read about Baal a lot in like First and Second Kings. Uh, the prophets of Baal, the story of Elijah. Um, but it's the God of all power and all pride. In other words, I don't need God. I have everything that I need. Everything I need to sustain my life is found in me. It's a very selfish, self-centered style of worship. And then there's Asherah, the goddess of pleasure, or what we could all say, they're not, not just the goddess of pleasure, the god of sensuality, or the goddess of emotions. That the idea of my sensuality, my sexuality, my emotions, everything that I feel is right and is truth. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, you actually see all three of these mentioned and brought up. But if you really think about today, this does not sound like today. And the things that our lives want to worship. I mean, this is how things got attacked at the beginning. If you put up that slide, Genesis chapter 3, I want to show you something. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight for the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. This was what we know as original sin. Now look at this. Look at the three. The tree was good for food, mammon's greed. It was a delight to the eyes, Asherah's appeal to pleasure. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, Baal's emphasis on self-empowerment. It was the main way the enemy drew humanity away from God. That was in the beginning. Let's take it a step further. Jesus went on a 40-day fast in the wilderness. He is tired. He is hungry. He is worn down physically. And all of a sudden, we are taken to this place of the desert where the, where the enemy comes to tempt Jesus. Look at how the enemy tempted Jesus. The tempter came and said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. In other words, command God to fulfill your inner appetites. You'll feel better. Go to the next slide. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Show your power. Let there be a display of your power. Show it off. 
show what you got. Go to the next slide. And again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. He said, all these I will give to you. We see the spirit of mammon. These three things, mammon, Baal, and Asherah, these, the appetite, the pride, the greed, we see it in the beginning of time. We see it faced against the life of Christ. And it is what we face every single day. The pressure of the pressure of mammon. They want you to bow its knee to just to say, ignore what, what everybody else has. You gotta go after what you need. The pressure of showing off pride and self-sufficiency. I don't need God. I've got everything that I need. Or I can live according to Asherah. I can go according to my own emotions, my own sexual desires, my own lust for pleasure. And listen, we all feel it. In fact, I think daily we can all face all three of these things. And if we were to be real, we see all three of these right there in the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. We see the possessions and the greed. What was it made out of? Gold. We see Baal, the amount of power and pride. He made a monument to himself and says it must be worshiped. But when were they supposed to worship? When all of the music and all the instruments happened, the sound, the pure wave, the emotion, the feeling. I don't know if you've ever just been privy to a concert where all of a sudden the, the music strikes and it just moves your heart on the inside. That's it. I see Asherah in the middle of that. Right there, we see all of this, and they were told to bow and to worship. You want to know what the word worship means? It's an old England Saxon word that simply means worship. It is proclaiming the worth of something. Why is it that when we get together that we start playing music and then we start having lyrics that are pointing toward Christ? Why is it that some people will go on their knees or lift up their hands and, sin, and sacrifice and surrender? Why? Because we are making a statement from the beginning of our services here that there is only one person that is worth all that we have and all that we are. It's a place where we come and we just set it down and say, the week wasn't worth my worship. Jesus is worth my worship. It's worship. You see, worship is just not something you do, it's who you are. We don't do worship around here. We are worshipers. And if you've relegated worship to something you do, you are cutting worship way too short. Matt, Matt Redmond says this, great worship leader. Here's how worship happens. You breathe in God's wonders, and then you breathe out a response. You breathe in God's wonders, and you breathe out a response. If you've relegated worship to your favorite worship song sung on a Sunday morning, I would have gotten into it, but boy, Pastor Abby didn't lead the song that I like. You have sold worship way too short. Because worship is not something that we show up to. It's something we do. It's something that we live. It's something that we are. And we can operate every single day in attitudes of worship. We walk out and we breathe in God's goodness. I don't know about you. Fall is my favorite time of the year. And whenever I walk outside and that fall breeze hits, I always just do this like inhale because I just love the fall. But worship is when we take in who God is and we breathe out a response to him. And so worship should absolutely be a part of everyday life. Let me give you some practical ways to worship every single day. Just very practical. We're gonna put up a list up here. Very practical. Number one, give your best in whatever you're doing. 
give your best in whatever you're doing. I'm telling you, when God got a hold of my life in 10th grade, my grades changed. Do you know why? Because I stopped doing my homework for the sake of getting a good grade. I started doing my homework because I thought it would honor God best and have a better testimony. I thought parents would amen way more than that. Number two, take care of yourself. I'm not talking about shape. I'm not talking about size. But these bodies do not belong to you. They belong to the Lord. So caring for yourself. Three, put them first in your mind. It's easy that when, you know, you're in the midst of a busy day and you have a break that we just go to our phones to surf. But what if instead of going to our phones, we simply have a moment where we just go to the Lord? What about, um, so put them first in your mind. Stay in the moment. Whenever God gives you moments, don't just let them pass by. Stay and sit in those moments. Number five, serve somebody else. Pastor Matt talked about that today. Number six, say it. If somebody has been put on your mind, do more than just think about it. Say something to them. Encourage them. Number seven, this is for you Facebookers. Don't say it. Worship is not just about knowing what to say. Sometimes worshiping your God with your life is knowing what not to say. Well, they started it but you're not they. Stop bowing to the pressure of they. Stop bowing to the pressure of the 90-foot statue in front of you. I know what they started, but let God finish it. Number eight, live generously. Number nine, do what you were made to do. Walk in your calling. Number 10, walk in gratitude. Walk in gratitude. And I know that there's pressure to bow. I know some of the disappointment that some of you are living through right now is giving you pressure to bow your knee and to listen to that disappointment or listen to discouragement or listen to anger or to listen to the politics or to listen to your friends. It's so easy to bow to the pressure of the they and to make that thing, that idea, that concept, that one thing become the center of your worship. And I know it's compressing you. So the pressure of having to bow is stifling sometimes. The pressure of comparison with what somebody else is doing. It can stifle the spirit within you. But I'm here to tell you that when you feel the fires of pressure around you, I want to encourage you this morning that there's somebody in the fire with you. There's somebody standing with you. Look at verse 26. I've gone way too long. Verse 26. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out in the fire. Look at that. It stepped out of what? It stepped out of the fire. I want to give a word to somebody this morning that for every pressure-filled moment, there is a promise of God's presence. For every pressure-filled moment that God does not promise you there won't be any furnace, but what he does promise you that he will be in it with you. They, they faced the furnace, and it says this, that they crowded around them, and they saw, they stepped out, and it said the fire had not touched them. The hairs on their heads were not singed. The clothing was not scorched, and they didn't even smell of smoke. I wrote this down. There was more evidence in their life of who they've been with than what they've been through. 
I wish that would get a hold of somebody's heart today. That we can go through the pressure to want to bow. We can go through the pressures of what people say that we should bow or point our lives to. We can go through all of those pressures, but God can be with you in the midst of all of that. And when you come out on the other side, that there will be more evidence of who was with you rather than what you had just been through. God, I pray that you would do something within our life that when we come through COVID and we get on the other side, and there will be another side, when we get through the election and we get on the other side, when we get through people's opinions and we get on the other side, I pray that we will not have to repair our reputation, but that we will come out of this place and say, surely that that person was with Jesus because they're the only one that could have carried them through that. God, give us a mentality that says, I'm sticking to Jesus. I'm going to walk through this thing so that people don't see the evidence of my beliefs in terms of my politics or my beliefs in terms of myself, but they'll walk through and see who I stuck with and his name is Jesus. Who do you worship is my question this week. And you're going to see it lived out in your choices. You're going to see it lived out in your conversations. You're going to live, see it lived out in your connections. But who are we bowing our knee to? Who is the they that we have been listening to? So that we have to bow our knee to their pressure. But I'm calling upon this church to be, to be Daniels, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. That we would rise up and simply say, do what you must. Say what you want to say. Post what you want to post. Do what you want to do. Because God's not just going to be with me in this, but we're going to walk through and on the other side, you're going to see evidence of Jesus in me instead of what I've been through. Because that's the promise of his presence. Bow your heads. Spirit of God, lay this moment, Lord God, I, Lord, I lay this song that we're about to go into at your feet and ask that you would do a miracle in our lives. Lord, I pray over every person right now that is just experiencing pressure. People who have been bowing to the pressure of anger or resentment, bitterness, those that have gone through the pressures of hurt and pain. God, I pray that you would just show your presence in their life. God, we are so done serving what people tell us what we ought to serve. We're done serving, Lord, what the climate and the culture is telling us to serve, God. Lord, we are choosing to put our focus and our eyes upon you, knowing that you are with us in this. And Lord, our lives are bowed towards you. Our feet will follow you. Our eyes will be fixed upon you, knowing, God, that we may go into the fire, but you'll be there. We may walk through the tall waters, but you'll be there. We may go through the pressure, but you will be there. And God, we can come out on the other side knowing you have been with us every step of the way. And we're gonna come out of this without even a lick of singed clothing, the smell of smoke, the residue of what we had been through, but in the appearance of the one who had been with us. I pray all of this in Jesus' name.